0: Galatians 6 verse 1 to 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I'm just going to pray before Johnny comes to speak. Father God, thank you for these words from Galatians 6. Thank you that you are good um, and that you have set us free. Um, I pray that you would be helping us to listen to you now as you speak to us. Pray for Johnny as he preaches and that we would have open hearts to your word and be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: It's a book all about freedom. I don't know about you. I think when we hear the word freedom in our culture, we tend to think of it as freedom from something Rather than what we're free to. Freedom from rather than freedom to. So we're freedom from we're free from, say, people telling us what to do. We're free from unwanted circumstances. Free from responsibility. And I think this is, this is really important. Um, indeed, the first four chapters of this book essentially has been about freedom from. It's been um, a plea from the Apostle Paul that the Galatians remember their freedom from the law as a way to ensure God's favour. They were, and we are, free from ever having to look to ourselves as the measure of whether God is pleased with us or not, because the law condemned and enslaved us because we can't keep it. But Jesus was condemned in our place on the cross, and so he has now set us free from the law. But freedom from is only half the story. Sometimes we neglect that other half of freedom, which is what we've been set free to. What are we free to do now that we weren't before? And if you'd allow me to use a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty banal illustration, to be quite honest, but run with it, right? When I was about 20 years old, um, I was living with a, a few friends, and one day, my friends and I came upstairs to find a bird flapping around in one of the bedrooms. you ever done that? It's really quite a distressing thing, to be quite honest. You've got this this, this kind of, well, first of all, the window was shut, so we we're just like, how has this bird got, got, got in here? To this day, we still don't really know how it got in there. We think one of the, my friends left the loft um, bit open. But anyway, that's by the by. This little bird was created to soar in the open skies, and yet here it was, a flappy and fearful mess on the floor. And you know what birds do in this situation? Well, they do a few things. But one thing that they do is they just kind of fly around into the wall, right? They just like round around, round, bang, 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 bang. And you're like, stop, man. Like, like, You're not helping yourself. The harder they try to get out of their confinement, the more desperate that they get. And so at this point, my friend kind of opened the window for this bird, obvious thing to do, right? And with the window open, the bird was free. The walls no longer had a hold over the bird. It was free. But of course, the bird didn't go anywhere near the window, did it? It just carried on flying around in circles, banging into walls. And we did everything we could to usher this bird towards the window, but it was just having none of it. Now, my question is this, stupid question, I know. My question is this, was the bird free? Was the bird free? I don't know if you see what I'm getting at there. In one sense, of course it was. It was free from the walls, which ensnared it. It just had to nip out of the window. But equally, so long as it was still in that room, banging into the walls, the bird was not free to live out its God-given design to fly through the open skies. In the end, my, I mean, it's irrelevant, my friend had picked the bird up eventually and place it out uh, so that it could not only enjoy its freedom from confinement, but also freedom to fly once again. You see there the two sides of freedom, freedom from and freedom to, or freedom for, you could say. I know it's a silly story, but I'm just going to ground it a little bit, because I think that many Christians, maybe you can relate, are like that bird, Stuck in that room with the window wide open. After all, the Apostle Paul has spent four chapters, five chapters now, saying, listen, you're you're free from the law. You're free from condemnation. And yet we often find we're still going round and round in introspective circles, banging into the walls of guilt and shame and feelings of spiritual inadequacy, fearful and fretful when we think about God and how he thinks about us. You know, we've heard, haven't we, that we enter God's forever family literally by faith alone. There is nothing we can do. We have faith alone, and you know, it just doesn't seem to feel freeing. I don't know. The window might be open, but we're still stuck. And like that bird, we sense that we were made for, for more than this kind of fixation on our own lives, our own performance, our own fears, and yet even hearing the good news of Jesus just doesn't seem to hit the sides. It doesn't seem to change anything. Confused as to why it couldn't spread its wings, that bird would rightly ask the question that we so often feel in the Christian life, is this really freedom? Well, this, I think, is why we need to understand what we're free to. And today in Galatians 6, 1 to 10, please have it open in front of you. Um, Paul's Paul's basically going to finish what he started in chapter 5. Chapters 4, 1 to 4, were all about what we're free from, the condemnation that God's law brings. That's gone, but what are we free to? If the open skies are what birds are made for, where they're free, what are the open skies for us humans? How do we leave our confinement through the window, free to soar? Well, you don't actually have to read very far in the Bible to kind of get an answer to that question before even come into Galatians. Genesis 3, Genesis, kind of opening chapters of, of Genesis, God made us in his loving, other person-centered image to reflect his character of loving others, being essentially other person oriented not fixated on self. But when we rebelled against God, we read in Genesis 3 that when the whole human race fell, we became inherently inward-looking. We turned in on ourselves and became self-serving, self-seeking. And often this looks like all-out living for our own pleasure, our own comfort, our own concerns. And yet, even when inward-looking sinners try to create our own ways back to God through man-made religion, what do we do? Well, we just create these religions where it's all about ourselves and how we perform and am I good enough and can I be good enough? It's all about me, me, me. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus is that it smashes that idea to pieces and frees us once again to live out the liberating purpose for which God created us. Which is what? Well, contrary to every sense that still rages on in our hearts, true freedom as a human looks like binding ourselves to other people, in love and in service of them. True life looks like dying to self. It's not what we expect, is it? use the language of galatians 5 this kind of freedom is called living by the spirit to use the the language of our sermon series this kind of life is called living free together and it's great news here are the open skies for which we are created here are the open skies that we are longing for so in galatians 6 1 to 10 paul's going to get really really practical Okay, Maybe you're one of those people like, come on, I'm done with metaphors. There is actually a metaphor in today's passage, but like, you just want to get like super practical and like, what do I, what do I need to do? Well, here is freedom lived out. Here is freedom experienced and seen. So let's jump in um, and see what we've been freed to. And I essentially have two points today, which is that we've been freed to an other-centered life, an other-centered life, and that we've been freed to an eternal life, which importantly starts here and now. Okay, so those are my two points. First of all, we're free to an other-centred life. So have your Bibles open on page 1172 if you can. And we're going to see five things we've been free to. Okay, point number one, we've been freed to restore others gently. Okay, that's, you might think that's a bit of an odd one to start with, but there you go. Look at verse one. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Yes, Christians are freed from the tiring pursuit of people-pleasing because in Jesus, God is pleased with us. Why do we need other people to be pleased with us if if the God of the universe is pleased with us? That's the logic. But importantly, this means that we are free to care more about a fellow Christian's spiritual life than the comfort we lose in, say, having a tricky conversation. We're free to, importantly, gently and lovingly and sensitively and with much prayer help them, first of all we forbear, but they might come to a point where we have to help them by pointing out the sin that we see that ensnares them. We're, we're free from fixation on ourselves. We're free to serve others. That's point one. Point two, we're free now to carry each other's burdens. Verse two, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. You see, Christians are essentially people who have been freed from having to carry the weight of their own sin and shame and guilt. Christ carried that for us on the cross. And this means that we're now free to no longer fall deep into introspective nasal gazing about how bad we are or about how we measure up. As those with our own burden of sin and shame lifted by Christ, we've been free to carry one another's burdens, their pains. They're suffering. We're free to lighten other people's loads. And note there how being set free from the law—little word play—and if you notice Paul's little play on words here—means that we are set free to another law, not a law that condemns, but a law that liberates. The law of Christ, he says there, which has freed us to become like Him, as we make it our aim to carry one another's pain, to carry one another's burdens, to pour ourselves out in love and service of one another. That's point two. Point three, we're free to be humble. We're free to be humble. Look at verse three. It's actually a proverb that was doing the rounds at the time, but Paul appropriates it here. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Without Christ, the world around us, it It has to find an identity. It has to find a value somehow, somewhere. Who am I? What tells me that my life has meaning? But we're free from ever having to ask those kind of questions. We're free from having to use other people to massage our own ego, to tell us that we're somebody, to have them affirm us. We're constantly bigging ourselves up so other people would think that we're great. That's using other people, not serving them. Because Jesus has given us the identity of being his child he's told us that we're more valuable than we could ever imagine by shedding his own blood we were worth shedding his own blood on the cross for we are free from such struggles we're free to be humble we're free to be honest about our fairly mediocre lives our fairly mediocre days lived out just you know like everyone else we're free to be honest about our sin our brokenness our pain there's no pretenses there's no walls anymore we're free Free to be humble—that's point, three. point four. We're free to put an end to comparison games. Verses four and five. This one's tricky. So look, look closely at this one. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now, on the face of it, this seems kind of to contradict what Paul's already said. Okay, I thought we weren't meant to take pride in ourselves. I thought we were meant to carry other people's burdens. Now, I'm not going to bore you with the details, but essentially um, our translation here is slightly obscured what Paul is saying. Um, a bit closer to what he says in his original language is this. See what God is doing in your life. And rejoice over that, rather than comparing the work he's doing in your life to the work he's doing in other people's lives. You don't have to compare yourself anymore. God calls us to different lives and different loads, so we're free from comparison. That's my paraphrase. See why I'm not a Bible translator. But that's kind of what he's getting at. Christians are people professing (laughs) to be sinful and needy. That's what being a Christian is. I'm sinful and I'm needy. I need Jesus' blood on my behalf, behalf. And because we're all in this same boat of sinners, and given that all of us in this boat are given the same riches of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, what's the point of comparing ourselves to others? We're all in the same boat. We're freed from having to compare ourselves. We're freed from rivalry, freed from jealousy. We are the same, and we need the same, and in Christ we're given the same. We're freed now to serve those who we'd otherwise have to compete against. That's point four, and lastly, point five, we're free to share what we have. Look at uh, verse six. The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. It's a bit awkward for me to be standing here instructing this, but actually, yes, the immediate context is sharing with pastors, specifically paid pastors. In in our church, that's Johnny. Um, So we pay Johnny's salary. I'm sure many of you know that. But actually, the same principle holds true throughout church life. We are to share what we have. As those enslaved to ourselves, we saw our things and our money as things that belonged to us. We earned this. We deserve this. But how does someone's perspective change when they become convinced that all they deserve is God's judgment? And yet God came in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to take away our punishment and in order to share with us every spiritual blessing none of which we earned, and none of which we deserved. I think it it frees us. It frees us from that tight-fistedness, that it frees us to a liberal generosity where our time and our money and our stuff become opportunities to no longer serve ourselves, but to serve others. So that's five. And you see... None of those five things come naturally to us. And we don't just like wake out of bed and like, yeah, I'm just so poured out for, 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 for others. This, is, this runs contrary to our nature. Without Christ, the Bible describes us as in the flesh. We looked at that last week. Toby explained that a little bit last week. But it's a label for all of us who without Christ naturally live for ourselves. We're all naturally enslaved to our own desires flapping around in the four walls of our lives, foregoing the open-skied freedom of looking outward to others. But here in Galatians 6, we see a beautiful picture of the freedom of living by the Spirit, the Spirit who does away with the sinful nature, the Spirit who gives us new desires. He shows us Christ. And maybe even now he's convicting you that it might just be true that finding freedom looks like binding yourself to others above yourself. It looks like looking away from yourself to others. Living freely means dying willingly, not physically, obviously, but to dying to our, 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 our wants and our putting ourselves first, essentially. Living with ourselves at the centre of our worlds. And those two categories of, of being in the flesh, enslaved to self, or in the spirit, kind of free to serve... Well, they lead us to our our second and final point, which is that we've been freed to eternal life, which starts here and now. We see this in Galatians 7 to 10. So again, 7 to 10 is where we are now. And in these verses, Paul's actually just riffing off the Lord Jesus. In Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Every good tree bears good fruit but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Now, don't mishear Jesus or Paul here. They're not saying, try to be good and grow good fruit, then you'll be called good. No, no, the point is actually the opposite. The point is that there's a certain inevitability about what fruit grows from which seeds. You can't plant an apple tree and grow pears. Equally, an apple tree can't try really hard to change its root and kind of, you know, oh, please, I just want to grow pears today, so I'm just going to change my root. It can't. By nature, it cannot do that. That would be ridiculous. And that is why in verse 7, Paul says, listen, don't try and pull the wool over God's eyes. Don't be deceived, he says. God can't be mocked. Whatever's at the root... ...of a person decides the fruit. What Paul is saying in verses 7 to 10 is that if we are still in the flesh... ...by which he means if we refuse to come to Jesus for salvation... ...our root is bad and so it will inevitably grow bad fruit. But as those those still trying to find the good life in themselves and apart from God's grace in Christ... We will live out that fundamental heart-level decision in how we live our lives. There's just an inevitability in it. To use Paul's language, we will sow seeds to please the flesh. The sinful, self-centered life. You can see that in verse 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Bad, it, like you don't need to be a mathematician for this one, right? Easy equation. Bad, bad root, bad fruit. I've got that right way around. Bad root, bad, yeah, I've got that right. Bad, (laughs) bad root, bad fruit. I said it was easy, and then I just like stumbled over it for 30 seconds. But look at the next bit. Whoever sows to please, this is verse eight, whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Again, he's not saying, those of you who have bad roots, sow some good Holy Spirit seeds, and your root will magic itself into a good root. don't, Don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. No, he's saying those of you who have come to Christ and put your faith in him, as Toby said last week, the Holy Spirit has supplanted the once bad root, literally pulled it out of the ground. I'm thinking about your um, garden, the Muncie's garden. There's like huge roots out of the ground. The Holy Spirit has come and just pulled this thing out of the ground and, 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 and the Holy Spirit is now the root of your life. So, there's an inevitability about the fruit that you're going to produce. Fruits of the Spirit, fruits of love towards others, and all the other relational virtues that Toby preached on last week. These are the first fruits growing up into the eternal life that Christ has given you. So, I think we're starting to read these kind of passages and think, oh, you know, am I sowing seeds? It's like, this is a huge encouragement. For all of us who have trusted Christ this morning, we are freed to an eternal life which has begun in our earthly lives right here, right now, Sunday the 22nd of May. It is here. This is just a true fact about you. But it comes with a logical command. Therefore, sow seeds to please the Spirit. If your eternity is coming, sow seeds in keeping with that fact. I just think this is immensely liberating, immensely purposeful. Look at the Christian life. Who wouldn't want this freedom? Every kind word, every lift offered, every meal cooked, every person restored, every pound shared, every affirmation given, every prayer prayed, every Bible passage studied, every church gathering set up, every... Baptistry pieced together bit by bit. Every church gathering set down. Every meal cooked that we're about to enjoy. All of these things are seeds which please the Holy Spirit and which over time inevitably grow from the root of faith in Christ to the eternity, the the, the full fruit of eternity. It's incredible. Again, Jesus Christ is exactly the same thing about our simple acts of love. He says truly, truly, I tell you, that means I'm not lying. That means, listen, I'm not lying. You might not believe this, but what does he say? Sorry, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I just think it's incredible. Freeing. But as I finish, I just want to land this in the kind of, I guess, the real world, because I know, I know as, as, as does Paul, that we're going to, uh, well, that for people who are recovering sinners, which we all are, verse one of this very passage, we're going to remain unconvinced that laying ourselves down for others is where true freedom is found. Even if we, we believe that now, I imagine by the time you get home and see a, I don't know, a, sink full of dishes which your housemate could do for you you're not going to believe it so much then or perhaps even now a call to sow seeds to please the spirit just sounds like another way that you're failing in the Christian life or what about those of you who've just been pouring yourselves out loving and serving and using everything that God's given you in service of other people for day in day out years on year on year and you just feel absolutely shattered you've just got nothing left to give you just think you know what I'm just this is not sustainable. Well, like us, Paul lived in the real world, among real people, among real struggling Christians like, like you and me. And so he anticipates all of those reactions. Look at verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. Okay. Like, why? What? Give me your motivational nugget, Paul. To, to keep me serving in this way, to, to keep me going in this life that you call freedom, which, to be quite honest, doesn't always feel like freedom. And what does Paul say in response to that? Well, He, he says what the Bible always says when it calls us to, to change. Paul brings us back to the absolute cast-iron assurance of eternal life that Christ won for us. Verse 9, read it again. Let us not become weary in doing good. Why? Why? For at the proper time, we might just about hope to reap an eternal harvest. No, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. He's talking about the eternal harvest that begins its growth right here, right now. You will receive eternity by your faith in Jesus. So don't give up. Keep going. Keep walking by the Holy Spirit. Keep sowing seeds of love and service which please the Spirit. Keep going. It's an absolutely definite truth. I, don't you find it crazy that when we normally feel low or lacking faith or discouraged or demotivated, we normally do the exact opposite to what Paul, Paul's response is here. We normally dig deep in ourselves like, like birds confined in a room despite its open window we look within to see if we have it in ourselves to keep going if we can find enough faith where's it gone if we have it in us if our lives match up to what we think god wants from us 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 the confining walls of living for self and therefore doubt fear guilt failure slavery the cycle of us going round and round banging into the walls of our own introspection But Paul points us to the window that leads to freedom. He says, you are on your way to eternity. Your faith in Jesus is the Holy Spirit's root, which is bringing an eternal harvest. That is how we can carry on doing this. Only with that safety, with that refuge, that power, with that excitement. Are you excited? Are you excited that, that nothing can take away God's love from you? that excitement that nothing can stand in the way, nothing can, 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 can take my eternity away from me. Only tapping into that will weary and fretful and exhausted souls find the motivation to keep going and pouring ourselves out in love and service of, of each other. Only with that can we fly through that open window to freedom by committing ourselves day in, day out, afresh to love and serve people before ourselves. Indeed, these are the commitments we make to each other when we become church members. Maybe for some of you, you've put off becoming a member for some time, even though you call this church your, your church. This is what church membership is about. We make promises, not to an institution, but to each other saying, I commit to you. You're my church family. That would be a good first step for you to take. Why don't you come and chat to me after the service if, if, if you feel that would be a good thing for you. Verse 10 says that we should do good to all people, but, the, but God's people, the church, are our first priority. Beyond that, in our church we have these little things called gospel families. Um, some of you uh, might, might be involved in those. I hope most of you. If you're not part of a gospel family, please come and find me because that's really where this takes place. That's our first port of call to, to love and serve one another. We can't serve everyone equally, we, so we, we, we create little groups so that we can pour into, in, into a smaller group of people. And for those of you who are in those groups, perhaps the first step might mean committing to getting yourself there weekly. You know, not like a rule, but you know what I mean? Committing to being there. We can't love people if we don't see them or if we don't get to know them intimately. It's just impossible. So those are definitely the first steps in this. But beyond that, here are some good questions to ask yourself to help you take the next steps of of sowing seeds of eternity. Again, there's probably loads more. But who in your gospel family is suffering? How might you draw near to them? Who's carrying extra load at the moment? It might be a close friend not in your gospel family, or even your spouse. What does lavish and self-giving love and service of that person look like? If you see persistent sin in a brother or sister's life, should you forbear? Or is it time to gently restore them? Are you working those kind of things out? Do you love them enough to be asking yourself those questions? Sorry, do you love them? Did I say myself... Do you love them enough to be asking yourself those questions? Who do you see the Holy Spirit at work in? Toby said last week, we're so bad as a culture of encouraging one another when we see the Holy Spirit at work in people. Can you encourage them with what you see? What do you have that you could share with others? Do you have a dinner table? Do you have food in the fridge? Who could you have round? Who's lonely? What are you up to on Friday evening, this Friday evening? Not a a generic Friday evening, sometime in the future. What are you up to this Friday evening? Who in church are you drawing away from? Why? How could you use your time and money and home and stuff to serve your gospel family and others? See, the questions could go on, and no doubt the Holy Spirit is asking you his own questions. I can't give you the questions that he's got for you. Only you know how this lands with you. And certainly I'm not advocating, to be clear, some kind of 24-7, non-stop frantic ministry here, there, and everywhere. Not not at all. But, But when we start asking ourselves these questions and moving gradually into this kind of direction, the root of faith in our life is already bearing fruit. We're already beginning to sow seeds which reap an eternal harvest. And I just think that's so exciting. It's so liberating. It's purposeful. We're through the window. And if we were all to sow those seeds, church, wouldn't, wouldn't that just be like a little picture of eternity, right here and now? Aren't we already growing in that as a church as we aspire to be a, a shining light of that never-ending love and joy and, yeah, freedom? Chapter 5, verse 1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those belong to the family of believers. Shall I pray? Heavenly Father, we know that by our own natures we are all inward looking. We know that we excuse our selfishness. We know that we are just selves and our own lives. Father, we just pray that as a church we would be one that cares and looks out for and pours ourselves out in love and service and care for one another. That, Father, our love and service of one another would would spill out beyond the bounds of the church towards this community and to the people we live and rub shoulders with every day. Father God, ultimately we just pray that you would show us the root of the Holy Spirit that has promised us eternal life. you convince us that is where we're headed and that from that root we would begin to sow seeds to your spirit and begin to bear fruit for his glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.